Welcome to episode number 276. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about easy ways that you can take cuttings, different types of cuttings from both stem cuttings and leaf cuttings to basically increase and multiply your plants without having to purchase new ones. Or if there are some plants that you have had your eyes on, especially fruit bushes, berry bushes, I should say, and or fruit trees and even herbs and a friend or neighbor has them, how you can take cuttings successfully and then be able to have those plants growing at your home without having to go out and buy a bunch of brand new plants. I don't have very much experience in this area at all, so I'm super excited for today's guest. But before I introduce her, if you are a new listener, let me introduce myself and the podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, a fifth generation homesteader who got back to her roots of using simple modern homesteading for a healthier and more self-sufficient life after a cancer scare in my late 20s. This is the place for you, my friend, if you sometimes wondered if you weren't born a hundred years too late. If you've always thought that you and Laura Ingalls would be best friends, and if you think that every home and kitchen would be better if they were filled with mason jars and cast iron, and those things were used daily with homegrown and homemade food. If that is you, then welcome home and welcome to this amazing community of modern pioneers. Today, we are talking to Leslie Halleck, who is a certified professional horticulturist. She spent 27 years in her career hybridizing horticulture science with home gardening consumer needs. Leslie has a BS in biology and botany from the University of North Texas and an MS in horticulture from Michigan State University. She has had previous positions, including director of horticulture research at the Dallas Arboretum, general manager for North Haven Gardens, as a well-respected independent gardener center in Dallas. Now, Leslie has devoted herself to the full-time running of her company, Halleck Horticulture LLC, which is a green industry consulting agency. She has written hundreds of articles for scientific, green industry, and consumer publications. She's a monthly feature writer and columnist for several green industry publications and is the author of several books, including Gardening Under Lights and Plant Parrot. Parenting, excuse me, that one didn't want to come off. I almost tried to say parroting, but plant parenting there, a little twist of the tongue. So I was really excited to talk to Leslie about doing, uh, telling us about when you need ruining hormones, when you're doing cuttings, what's the best way to go, as well as taking stem cuttings and leaf cuttings and even being able to do air layering for tropical and citrus fruits. So much excitement. You will hear all of my excitement, I should say, in this episode because there is so much that is new that I cannot wait to test out and try here on our homestead. And I'm sure you're going to feel the exact same way. 
So to access today's um, blog post and resources and links that Leslie's going to be talking about so that you can grab them easily in one spot, go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 276, just the number 276, Well, because that's the episode number that we're on. So without further ado, let's dive into this one. Guys, I am super excited to introduce you to Leslie. So Leslie, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Oh my gosh, thanks. It's been a little while since I've done a podcast interview, so this is fun. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, good. I Podcasts are like, big surprise, right? I am a podcast host, but podcasts are one of my absolute favorite modems of learning. I adore them, so I'm excited to have you back in the podcast world. Likewise. And I do a lot of them, but it's been a little while. So this is good. Jump back in. This is great. Awesome. So I'm really excited to talk to you today about a number of things. One about really with the rooting hormones. Sure. And also with doing like leaf cuttings and Mm -hmm. stem cuttings and maybe even grafting. I don't know if I have enough time to get into that, but maybe, maybe. Okay, good. (laughs) Those are the areas like I do a lot of, you know, I uh, seed starting Mm -hmm. and, you know, direct sowing and even some cold stratification of dry seeds and all that kind of stuff. But I really have no experience when it comes to cuttings and leaf cuttings and even grafting. So I would love for you to go over the root hormones explained because I think that that will um, give us a good base and then talk about all of that fun cutting stuff because that's where I want to go next in my gardening horticulture journey. Awesome. So yeah, you generally find there's sort of two groups of people interested in propagation. So you have the outdoor gardeners, you know, like yourself that maybe have have experienced starting vegetable seeds and things like that, but you know, they haven't messed around with a lot of vegetative propagation. And then you have sort of the houseplant enthusiasts that have dappled with some vegetative propagation but have no idea what to do when it comes to seed starting. So it's really interesting sort of the varied experiences and the common sort of starting place conundrums when, you, when you're used to doing one form of propagation, but you really now you want to make that shift in, and discover a whole new way to propagate the plants you love. So vegetative propagation or cloning is when we are going to take a cutting from a plant, a piece of a mother plant, and we're going to stimulate it to grow new roots and bud shoot. And that's where a lot of people start. You know, they'll start with that very first pothos ivy cutting in water, right? Like that's sort of the classic first foray into vegetative propagation for a lot of people. And, you know, luckily plants like that are super easy to root that that produce aerial roots. But a lot of plants that you take cuttings off of can be a little stubborn and slow to root. So, you know, say you're taking a a tip cutting off of a citrus plant or something that's just a little woodier, you know, that's not a fleshy tropical and can take a long time to root. Oftentimes those cuttings will rot before you ever get them to root, which is really what vegetative propagation is all about. And same with seeds. It's a race to root before you rot. Is what I always like to say. So the faster you can stimulate that cutting or seed to germinate or, or grow new roots, the more successful it's going to be. And to help with rooting, to speed up the rooting process and make cuttings more successful, I will often recommend rooting hormones. And that's a place of confusion for a lot of beginners. You know, what are these rooting hormones? They sound a little scary and science labby, right? (laughs) You know, if you haven't used them before, but, you know, essentially it's a pretty simple process. What you're doing is using a product that 
stimulates a natural hormone in the plant to stimulate, to speed up the rooting. So plants have hormones, like we have hormones, and there's a group of hormones called auxins, and they generate uh, the formation of root tissue. And in the plant, um, it's called IAA or endo-3-acetic acid. So that's the natural hormone that circulates in the plant that does that job of stimulating new root tissue. Uh, you can buy root hormones that are a synthetic product that simulate that, and they're called IBA or endobutyric acid. So a lot of times when you buy a little container of rooting hormone, it'll say IBA on it. And Essentially, it's just a synthetically formulated replication of that natural plant hormone. And you, you dip your cutting in it or you add, a, add it to the water that you're rooting in and it helps that cutting create new root tissue much quickly, much more quickly than it would if you didn't use it, to put it very simply. <laughs> so there are a few different types of rooting hormones. You can get it in powder form or gel form or liquid form. and um, you know, you just take your plant cutting. And one thing I really recommend with rooting hormones is that you don't dip your cutting into the container that the rooting hormone came in, because you'll end up introducing organic matter in there that can cause problems. So, you know, pour a little bit of that powdered rooting hormone into a little bowl or the gel, put it in a separate container, dip the end of your cutting in it, and then put that cutting into whatever, whatever substrate you're using, whether it be, um, you know, rock wool or a uh, uh, a propagation mix or, you know, perlite, whatever it is you're using to, to propagate. So what questions do you have about rooting hormones then? Okay. So you said synthetic hormones and yes. beings, I am a very much natural minded. Sure. Partner, so I try to sure. use, you know, or I'm not certified organic because it's just for our own home use, but I use sure. organic practices and all that kind of stuff. Me too. Okay. Perfect. So when you say synthetic hormones, is there any natural hormones? I mean, is synthetic the only way to go? Does it not no. really matter if you're, if you're looking at this from trying to do it as organically as possible? So kind of walk me through those selections. If I'm looking, you know, to purchase a rooting hormone, what would be the best if that's my end goal is to stay as close to organic as possible? Sure. So, so there are a few other natural ways that you can go. If you don't want to purchase the synthetically um, manufactured plant hormone, as a, which will be called a rooting hormone, um, you can do, use what we call rooting stimulants, which, which are not the same thing, right? So they're not going to be a rooting hormone, but they're natural products that can aid the cutting in being able to root more successfully. So liquid seaweed is one that I like to use and you probably have, have used in, in many other ways in your garden. And, you know, what that can do is really it more, it more kind of uh, creates a conducive environment in the substrate um, that, that makes it easier for that cutting to root. Honey will do the same thing. It's essentially an antiseptic, an antifungal. So, you know, a lot of times it's fungal growth that's causing that cutting to rot before it roots. So you can dip your cutting in some honey uh, to help cut down on pathogens. So it's not necessarily directly stimulating root growth, but it's creating better conditions uh, for that cutting to root before it rots. Um, now, willow extract, which you, you may or may not be familiar with, it is actually a natural root stimulator in, because it naturally contains those auxins, right, that are in the plant. So oh. you can use that as sort of a, a natural homemade um, actual rooting hormone. 
So willow, willow extract might be something you'd want to look into. If you're really looking for something that will directly help root development, then, then the willow extract is a way to go. If you're looking for a natural product to create better rooting conditions, then the liquid seaweed and honey are going to be two options in that department. Okay. So this may sound like a silly question, but would it be beneficial to use both? like together to use like the honey and the willow or should you choose just one or the other? Probably just one or the other because, you know, essentially if you're using a rooting hormone, you need it to be coming in direct contact with that tissue that's going to generate the new roots. So, uh, you know, I think it could kind of get mucked up if you're trying to use honey and a root stimulator. I'm not sure how effective that would be. I I can't say that I've tried that myself. Um, But, you know, what I would say is that you could experiment with them separately. And that's, you know, look, as a, as a botanist and a horticulturist, experimentation is always fun. So, you know, you could do it with something as simple as a, as a pothos ivy or something you can take a bunch of cuttings off of, but try a few different of these items and see which one works best for you. It's also going to depend if you're using a, a medium to start cuttings that has any organic matter in it. That's where, you know, using an antiseptic uh, or the liquid seaweed is probably better. Okay. Because it's that organic matter that is going to breed microbes and fungal issues, right, more quickly. If you're using an inert media, uh, like rock wool or, you know, something like that, oasis, um, you know, or even just water, I would suggest maybe using a rooting hormone or the gel hormone um, because there really isn't any, there's no microbe life for you to be feeding with that like seaweed, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So for myself and most of my listeners, we're really focused on food production yes. and as well as herbs. So definitely, sure. you know, some different herbs and flower and flowers and that type of thing, but mainly if they have a food component or as like natural medicine is in the Mm -hmm. case of like elderberries. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at doing say cuttings from those with that in mind, I should say, (laughs) um, what are some of your, what are the things that I need to be looking for when I'm selecting the plants that I want to do cuttings for? Um, So kind of walk me through like best practices when we're doing those selections and, and just starting like from the very basic beginning. Right. So, so a clean, healthy mother plant, and that's what we call a plant you're going to take cuttings off of. So if you have an oregano or a basil in the garden and you want to, and you want to propagate more of those herbs, your best chance of getting really great, healthy new cuttings is to start with a mother plant that doesn't have any problems, right? That is nice and sturdy and healthy, that doesn't have any pests or disease, any fungal issues specifically. If there's any leaf spot or anything like that going on, uh, that's going to carry over to your cutting. So you always want to make sure that you're starting with a mother plant that is clean and healthy. Um, and it's also better to take cuttings if you can kind of earlier in the day when the plants are very turgid. If it's hot and they're a little bit heat stressed or it's dry, probably not a good time of day to take cuttings. So healthy, clean plant, no pests or diseases, right? And then obviously you need a plant that's big enough 
that if you take some cuttings off of, you're not going to decimate the plant that you have left, right? So I always try to take a few cuttings from a few different plants, you know, just so that I'm not completely, um, you know, completely taking that mother plant back down to the to a nub, if you will. So, um, you know, it, it just it just really helps to start with a clean, healthy mother plant. Um, never, you know, some, sometimes I'll get questions, you know, oh, I have this plant and it's kind of tanking, you know, can I take some cuttings and save it? Well, only if it's, you actually have some clean, healthy growth. If it's in decline because it's got some sort of systemic issue or a fungal or bacterial infection, then the last thing you want to do is take cuttings off of it. You put it into the compost pile, <laughs> you know, um, you know, cut your losses on that altogether. So really that's, you know, that's the best advice when you start taking cuttings is just make sure you're taking cuttings off of a plant that's worth taking cuttings off of. <laughs> got it. So when you are taking a cutting and I'm, you know, say I'm looking at, um, you know, a, a leafy plant, mm -hmm. like a, like basil, I'm assuming yeah. that do you need a certain amount of leaf sets um, on the piece that you're cutting? Yeah, so basil's a great example. So when we start getting into the types of cuttings, the most common type of cutting you're going to take is called a tip stem cutting. So if you look at that basil plant, which is in the mint family. So it's got nice big stems and nodes where those leaves meet the stem that you can see that are really easy and it's pretty quick to root. So it's a, if, if you have listeners that grow herbs and wanna propagate herbs, I would always suggest start learning to take cuttings from basil because it's one of the easiest ones for you to try. So that very tip of the growth on that stem where you have you know the top of the two leaves coming out, basically if you go back two to three nodes, and the nodes again are where the leaves meet the stems. Mm -hmm. You can take your cutting so that you have a, have a cutting with two to three nodes on it, remove the bottom couple sets of leaves, and that's gonna be an adequate stem tip cutting. Now, once you've chopped off the head of that stem, right? You've, you've taken that tip. Now what you're left with are called leaf bud cuttings. So you can keep going down that stem and taking additional cuttings that have the nodes on them where new buds can grow and emerge and you can root subsequent leaf bud cuttings off of that main stem. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you can get the tip cutting and then as Correct. long as it, you're going from a large, that it's a large enough stem Correct. to speak of, then you can get a stem cutting all off of the same piece. Yeah. Uh, we call it a leaf bud cutting. So once you've okay. removed the tip growth and you, and you're going to those lower nodes where there are, are leaf buds that can emerge, right? So the difference is that tip cutting you get is going to have that apical meristem at the top. So it's going to look really nice and pretty and round on top, just like the plant that you have. Once you go down to leaf bud cuttings, right, you're going to have that cut central stem and then you're going to get two new main bud shoots that come off the side of it. So it's going to take a little longer for a leaf bud cutting to sort of fill out on the top as a new plant, right? So the, the tip stem cuttings are, are kind of the easiest way to get the fastest, nice, full-grown plant that you want. And then the leaf bud cuttings as you go down the stem um, are going to be, just take a little bit longer, but you can get multiple cuttings off of one stem by taking a stem tip cutting and then several leaf bud cuttings below it. Okay. So... This may sound silly too, but I'm assuming that it's going to root pretty fast and begin growing. So the advantage is to taking this leaf cutting in order to get more basil with our example here, rather than starting just a new plant from seed again as one, you don't need any additional seeds, but I'm assuming you're getting a jump start by doing this to actually getting 
more leaves and the ability to harvest from it faster than if you're just growing it from seed. Is that a correct oh, assumption? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, cuttings, especially with a fast rooting plant, such as basil or oregano, you know, really aggressive growers. If you're looking to, you know, build up stock in your garden or you're looking to grow some giveaway plants, you know, I'm, I'm a big plant gifter. I think that that's a really green way to go. I think it's a really lovely gesture. So I love propagating plants to give away. Herbs are great for that. So yes, taking a cutting, a stem cutting or a leaf bud cutting, and then we can get into some of the more funky types of, of, of cuttings. Yeah, you're going to get a plant that's a transplant that can go out into the garden or into a pot, you know, much faster, you know, depending on the crop, you know, a couple of months faster, potentially, you know, it can take um, quite a while to get a tomato from seed to transplant to out in the garden, depending on your climate, you know, that's an eight to 10 week process to transplant for me here in Texas. So I could take a cutting off of a tomato transplant and have a transplant ready to go in about a month that can go out in the garden. It's pretty cool. So you can speed up your transplant production. And it's also the only way to go, vegetative cloning. If there's a particular variety that you want, you know, say the, the hybrid that you have, because hybrids don't come true from seed, and I'm sure you know this because you do a yes. lot of seed germination, right? <laughs> yes. So if you've got a hybrid tomato, you know, that, that, that isn't going to come true from seed, the only way for you to get that plant again, and the way that it's propagated commercially is by cuttings, stem cuttings. So yeah, it speeds everything up, and it also ensures that you're going to get a clone of the same exact mother plant instead of a seed variant. Okay. That's fascinating. Yes, I do a lot of seed saving and I pretty much predominantly only grow heirlooms. Yeah, open uh, pollinated. Yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. Yes. So, okay. So that's you can do the same, but you can do the same. You know, if you've got a nice, you know, green zebra, which is actually a, a hand selected uh, heirloom cultivar. It's interesting. It's a little bit different than just a straight up open pollinated. It was selected from open pollinated seedlings. But yeah, if you wanted to take some cuttings of that and make more plants much more quickly, instead of waiting for seeds, you can do the same thing. Okay, I love, I'm, I'm digging this. So yeah, lavender, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. switching gears on us just a little bit, but I'm going sure. back to lavender because um, I actually need more lavender plants on my homestead. I currently have um, three, four. Got it, <laughs> yes. got it, got it. But lavender, even with doing um, seed stratification, and yes. trying to start lavender from seed. Lavender is kind of a little bit of a bugger to try to grow yep. from seed. Yep. So walk me through um, taking a cutting of lavender to grow some more plants. Right. So first I have to be, because I'm in the horticulture industry, yes. I have to give you the disclosure okay. that a patented hybrid is legally not allowable for you to propagate. And a lot of people don't realize that. It's like intellectual property. It's like a photograph from an artist or a song from a musician. If someone has bred a hybrid lavender and that lavender is patented, then legally you may not propagate it. So that's something important to know, especially if you have any intention of distributing it, giving it away, selling plants. That's a big no-no. <laughs> so first thing to do is make sure that what your purposes are, are not going to be propagating a patented lavender or any other type of patented plant for that matter for distribution, right? So most of the time, if you're just doing it for yourself, you know, 
no one's going to show up at your doorstep, right? So that's the, and a lot of the lavenders on the market, there's many patented lavenders. So I just have to put that out there for everyone's edification. Do what you will. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Do what you will. Gotcha. But lavender. Yeah. Lavender is a little bit of a bugger for a lot of reasons. Um, it's just slow. Right. And, and, and if you think about it, a lot of plants that are, are very drought tolerant, you know, that may be used to growing in climates where rainfall is sort of intermittent, you know, a slower growth habit is adventitious, right? But it also means things are slower to root, slower to see, and, you know, everything can be slow. And lavender is a little bit woody. And so once you get into that woodier tissue, it's going to take longer to root. So with lavender, I do recommend that if you're going to take tip stem cuttings, only go back a few inches from the tip of the growth. You want a stem that is sort of medium density, not, not necessarily super, super soft right at the tip of the growth stem, but not back to where it's gotten really woody. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, you want sort of that in-between <laughs> um, texture to the stem. And again, you're going to want several nodes. Two to three nodes is good. You don't want a cutting that's too large because with no root system on it, it can't really support itself, right? So all that extra foliage and all that growth it may not root fast enough for you. Lavender, I am going, I usually will recommend using some type of rooting hormone. So for that, you may try the willow extract because the faster you can get it to root, the better. Um, I also don't like to root that in organic matter. I would definitely recommend using something inert. Inert meaning no, um, you know, something like rock wool or something like, you know, core or something like perlite that there's no there's no organic matter there because it's just so much easier to rot cuttings that take a long time to root you can also use automated aeroponic propagators and if you've got my book plant parenting I, I, I explain all of these things that I'm going through in the book and I show you what an automatic propagator is I use little automatic propagators for cuttings of woodier plants that tend to be trickier to root, that tend to rot before they root, citrus, lavender. And what you do is you suspend a cutting in this little reservoir and it circulates water all the time around the end of the cutting. So it's basically like water rooting, but with aeration, which is okay. important. And I use a rooting hormone. So lavender also doesn't like cold, wet soil. Um, you know, that rots it as well. So if you're doing cuttings again in sort of soil, that's going to be problematic for you. So clean rooting hormone, uh, a tip, a tip stem cutting with two to three nodes and remove a bunch of the leaves. Don't leave a bunch of the leaves on there because they'll just decay. And, you know, use an inert. I, I think I like to use rock wool if you're going to use a substrate. Um, so that's, or something similar to that. I just don't like to take cuttings of lavender in something that contains organic matter. Okay. So stay out of the soil and the potting soil. And, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Soil. So, so potting mix and you start sort of define like potting mix tends to be inert. Um, okay. It doesn't actually have organic matter. Potting soil means that it's got some form of organic matter in it, like, um, like composted humus or maybe worm castings or composted manure. Those are going to be trickier for you to root cuttings in for anything that's not inordinately fast, okay. right? Um, because there's just a bigger chance of more moisture, less aeration, and microbial growth that can decay that cutting. 
Okay. So I have a question actually yeah. on time of year when you're doing cuttings. So especially with our herbal things like lavender, rosemary, mm -hmm. um, that are perennials. Right. Is there, I'm assuming while it's still in the growth phase, so like so many weeks and also for you to be able to plant it and for it to survive too, but I'm assuming before like a first frost date. Mm -hmm. um, now I'm just, I'm guessing that because I'm guessing it would still have a lot of the hormones kind of circulating throughout and it's in that growth right. phase. Um, right. So is there a time of year, especially when we're talking about perennials, that you should not be trying to do this or does that not really matter? When they're dormant, is not a good time to take a cutting, <laughs> right? Because like okay. you said, you don't have the active growth. You don't have the active hormones circulating. So it could be very tough for you to root a cutting off of something that is dormant or going dormant, or it's you know gotten cold, or maybe you've had that first light frost. N not a great time. The best time to do it is during that species' most active growing season. So spring, when a lot of new growth is flushing out, they're prime for that. So that's a great time, you know, late in the summer, depending on where you are, you know, August in Texas is like death zone, you know, like everything is stressed. <laughs> everything is terrible. July and August in Texas, I just equate to January and February in Minnesota. It's just the time we don't go outside, right? It's our horrible winter happens in late summer here. And so when plants are really dry and stressed, not a great time either. So the best time is dependent upon the species. And generally when you're getting that nice spring, early summer flush of growth, when plants are really actively growing, those are the plants that are gonna give you cuttings that are gonna root the fastest. So that's just a very general rule. Now, that said, when you get into things like some woody plants, it's actually as easy or easier to sometimes take dormant uh, stem cuttings. So um, fruit trees and things like that, you know, you can do a lot of grafting or cutting when plants are dormant. So it just depends on the species of plant. But for perennials, fresh, fleshy annuals, fleshy herbs, when they're actively growing and happy and healthy and very turgid, that's going to be the time to take your best cuttings. Okay, perfect. So you really segued beautifully there for me because that's what I was going to ask about <laughs> next. Big. I know I, I said that in the beginning, um, but doing your grafting, especially on your fruit trees and or berry bushes like elderberry, blueberry, right, right, right. Um, et cetera. So you've said that actually dormant is going to be good for that. So I guess we should probably specify one, taking a cutting from like a berry plant to create a new plant, which is similar, just a, a different right. um, plant than what we're talking about with the herbs versus doing your grafting. Um, so do you want right. to start with taking the cutting to just propagate another plant? And then we can talk about some of the grafting. Yeah. So, so taking a cutting off of a, of a berry plant, you know, off of a blackberry shrub or, or whatnot, um, or a grapevine or a fruit tree is going to be exactly what I just described about the basil, taking a stem tip cutting. So, and again, I go through in plant parenting exactly how to do that, but there's a lot, um, there's sort of an intermediate step before you get to grafting, which is called layering layering and air layering which i think you know real-time grafting is a little complicated for a lot of beginners so i like to start off with telling folks how you can do layering first which is a great sort of lead up to grafting so so a lot of plants will 
will make root suckers, right? They'll, you know, like blackberries that, you know, you get root suckers and you can yes. actually, yes, you can take stem cuttings off of those or you can layer your blackberry shrub or whatnot. All you have to do is say, bend over that cane, bury part of it in the soil right next to where you want it to grow and it's going to root and grow a new mother plant. So that's, you can do that with a lot of perennials and berry shrubs, um, things like that. You know, you can just layer them, meaning taking that stem, instead of taking a cutting off of it, you basically just take that stem and bury it partially in a pot of soil or down into the ground below the plant. And it's going to root and make a new mother plant that you can either, then you can then cut away from that main stem and dig up and transplant, which is really cool. <laughs> um, you know, or you can just take cuttings off of the plant. Same thing with a fruit tree, right? So you can take a stem, and take that first, you know, few nodes and the tip off of the stem, and you can root it just like you would a basil, but it's going to take a lot longer because it's a woodier cutting than a fleshy annual perennial. Or you can do what's called grafting. And there's been a lot more grafting with fleshy plants like tomatoes in the last few years, um, used to be kind of restricted to fruit trees. But yeah, grafting basically is taking a piece of one fruit tree, right, that you has desirable fruit that you want to grow, for example, and grafting it, cutting a piece of tissue out where a bud would grow in a node on another plant that say maybe doesn't produce great fruit, but has a really sturdy rootstock and is tolerant to say fungal pathogens that are in your area in the soil. So it might be really tolerant of disease, but it doesn't make the fruit you want, but then you have another fruit that's related, that makes a grapefruit, you take a piece of that and you basically insert it into an area where you've cut away tissue on the rootstock plant. They fuse, grow together, and you get a stem and a bud that grows out of that rootstock that makes the fruit you want, but it has a completely different species of rootstock that is tolerant of the natural growing conditions. It's very crazy and cool. It is cool. And so I actually have a question for yeah. you. So I have a plum tree. Mm -hmm. that does not have a pollinator for that plum. It's a, it's a little self-fertile, but, okay, not, but not, not great. Not, not yeah. great. Yes. So if I were to go and find a plum variety that would yes. be a great cross-pollinator for it, yes. I could just take a cutting, pop it on there, and then I don't have to wait for a whole other plum tree to grow to pollinate this one. Correct. I'm Okay. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, so you'll see there's all these crazy sort of multi-fruit um, graft, you know, um, options out there. You know, it, they're not all super successful and they're not all going to, you know, there's all these crazy pictures online of one tree <laughs> producing 18 different kinds of fruit. You know, I mean, good luck. If you would like to try to accomplish <laughs> that, feel free. But yeah, that's a great way to do it. And so basically, you know, grafts are going to be successful when you basically meet two pieces of tissue right, that produce the type of cells that you need to stimulate new root and bud tissue. So, you know, you basically create a notch in the stem where a bud grows and you take the piece of the other fruit tree pollinator that you need and you notch the base of that stem cutting and you slide it in and you tape it up together, okay. essentially what you do. And then over time, they can grow together and then start producing new growth on that graft stem that you placed on your not so great plum tree. Um, now it's got a, now it's got a cross pollinator growing on the same plant. It's very yeah, cool. That is very cool. So are you looking for this node when you're taking the branch so that I've cut it off this tree and I'm, I'm grafting it into the, 
the mother tree, so to speak, mm-hmm. or the rootstock, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Um, now, am I looking for nodes that are on the trunk or actually on an existing br- structural branch on the fruit tree to put my graft into? It depends on how old the specimen is that you're grafting onto. So on a young fruit tree, you know, tissue on that main trunk may still be somewhat green and actively producing new shoots. And if it is, you could graft onto the trunk. If it's an older tree and the main trunk has really gotten very woody and is not producing any new growth anymore, you're better to go higher up into a branch that's got greener tissue. Okay. If that makes sense to graft yeah. your new specimen onto the mother plant there. It needs to be green, actively growing tissue. So, you know, if it's an old, big, woody trunk, chances are you're not going to have as much success trying to graft there because you're not going to have bud nodes active there anymore, right? You're going to have right. to go higher up into the tree to younger, fleshier growth. That okay. Makes sense. Yeah. That does make sense. Yeah. Because the more immature, supple growth. Um, right is at the top. Okay. That definitely makes sense. So for the fruit trees, um, dormancy is best, or you can just do it when it's dormant, when you're, when you're doing, when you're doing this. When it's dormant, uh, prior to that new, uh, rush of spring growth is always a good time to do that. So, uh, you know, that, that's just often when, fruit trees are grafted and planted just because, you know, the way that their hormones work, you can get away with doing it that way. So you do that graft and then as right before spring, and then as that plant starts to move into its spring flush of growth, right, then that union, if you will, is, is going to speed up and take. So that's just a good time to do that with woody plants. Okay. Right, but right before they head into dormancy break and you get that flush of hormones, if you will. Yes. So, yeah. So, you know, when they're flowering and fruiting, you know, that's where all the energy is going. If you think about it. So it's a right. little bit different with flower fruiting plants than it is with foliage herbs. So once that fruit tree has moved into, hey, I'm reproducing now, all of my energy is going to flowers and fruit and seed, you know, versus new tip green shoot growth, right? So you're trying to catch that time when that tree is putting energy into green shoot growth versus flower fruit production. Okay. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Um, So are there kind of what is your rule of thumb when you have grafted it in um, by the time you should see new growth on the grafted piece? So once everything else starts opening and and you have bud break um, on the the grafted stock, should you see that about the same time on the piece that you've grafted in or can it take it when you first have done it like a few extra weeks? When yeah. do you know to cut your loss? I guess is yeah. what I'm getting at. It, 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 as long as that cutting that you have placed, right? The graft that you have placed, the stem tip cutting that you have now grafted to the mother tree, as long as it's still green, you know, turgid mm-hmm. and alive, you know, it can take, it, it has to, it has to create a new union tissue, right? To okay. the mother tree. So it's, you actually really don't want to see it budding and leafing out too fast because that means the energy is going there rather than making that joint union. Okay. So it's going to be a little slower usually. Right. So, you know, it may take longer, you know, it can take 
a few months to really do its thing. It just depends on the species and the timing and the temperature. So, you know, that's just going to depend on the fruit tree and how successfully you made that graft union. So it's not going to be instant, right? You shouldn't expect to see that new cutting that you stuck into that mother plant just take off and start growing at exactly the same rate as the rest of the tree. So it's, it's going to be behind in schedule. If it starts to turn black and shrivel up, okay, then it didn't work. Okay. <laughs> you'll, you'll know that pretty quickly. So usually it's either going to start working and hang in there <laughs> or it's going to start to shrivel and that means that it just has not been able to make that vascular connection that it needs to make in order to be a successful graph so yeah it usually will tell you pretty quick but okay. but one cool thing that that you can try if you're not ready to sort of dive into actual grafting is what we call air layering and this is great to do with citrus um, if you have struggled with tip cuttings with stem cuttings, like getting them to root and your citrus cuttings keep dying or whatever other, you know, type of, of uh, fruit tree you're trying to do, you can air layer. And so basically air layering is you take a stem and you basically scrape away some of the tissue where it's green growth, you damage it essentially. You mm -hmm. tell that plant, ooh, I've damaged this now, just as if it had fallen off and hit the ground which will trick the plant into thinking that it needs to make new roots there. You wrap that wound with something like sphagnum moss or core and you wrap it all up in plastic or the cool air laying, layering graft balls that you might've seen around. And you basically leave it there for a few months. The stem develops a whole new root system. You pop that little ball or your wrap off, cut it off the tree and you've got a little transplant with a whole root system ready to go. It's really cool. Oh, that is cool. Now, does that work only on citrus? Because I am so far up in the Pacific Northwest. I can't really grow any citrus here. Right. Does this work on right. other non-tropical citrus trees or do those just really are the best candidates? Those are kind of some of the easiest ones, but it will work on a lot of different plants. You can do air layering on lots of different plants. So that would be something to try if maybe you've taken tip cuttings off of things that are just not working for you, you could try air layering. Anything that is able to develop new root and bud tissue from a node, you can pretty much air layer. Okay. Yeah. This is, yeah, I think it would work really well on blueberries, actually. Um, yeah, and you can, with blueberries, you could, you can probably do just some ground layering as well. I've done that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can do ground layering on that. But just, I mean, if you think about it, air layering is kind of exactly the same thing. You're just doing it up on the stem. And you've just created, you know, you've just created a um, barrier around that node for it to root or the damaged piece of stem that you've created to create new roots okay. versus putting it down in the soil. Yeah, that's kind of exciting. Um, one question I have on the grafting, especially to like a mother tree, and I'm assuming that it's going to depend on the age um, of the mother tree, but is there like an approximate, like you should only try to graft, say like, you know, three or four things at one time, or you should only do like two, or is there any general rule of thumb when it comes to do specifically with fruit trees grafting on new branches or not? If there are, I'm not really sure what they are. I can't okay. say that, you know, I'm a fruit tree production expert. So I'm sure that there's some people out there that might tell you only, you know, do 5% of the branches. But, you know, I think it's more important to look at the overall health of the tree. How many wounds you know, are you willing to inflict <laughs> yeah. on this tree at the same time 
Right. Um, so it's, it's probably good to do it over a few seasons if you're going to be adding a bunch of graphs. Okay. Right. Versus trying to do a whole bunch of graphs all at once because you're essentially wounding that tree. And every place you create a wound, you're creating an opening for disease and pathogens yes. to move into that tree. So the yeah. other thing to think about is that, you know, you don't want to be necessarily doing a lot of grafting on an actively growing tree in early spring when it's or whenever fungal diseases or bacterial diseases become prevalent in your area because you're creating those wounds and creating more opportunities for that tree to get infected with something. So that's another consideration. And you have to use clean tools. You have to use sterilized tools when you're creating graft wounds. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, actual grafting can get a little bit complicated. And so I usually have people try a few other of these sort of lead ups before you go right into fruit tree grafting. Um, but that's something to consider too, is that how many wounds are you going to make on that tree at a given time and what time of year is it, which is again, if you're going to do that during, you know, right before spring, chances are a lot lower that you're going to have any disease activity, right? Before that tree leaves out. Yeah. See here in the Pacific Northwest, we're so wet. I actually have switched to doing my pruning because we are so prevalent for fungal, yeah. you know, big yes. surprise there, right? I actually am doing my pruning in um, July when it's kind of in that semi-dormant state mm -hmm. um, and of having really good success. And I'm really enjoying that. Now that's not going to work in a lot of parts of the country, obviously, but for here, it seems to work better just because we're never really dry. Right. <laughs> in the right, winter, we have so right. much rain and we'll get snow, but you know, usually, you know, within a week it's melting. So then it's back to that wet right. and not just that cold dry. So um, I'm thinking that the leaf tip cuttings or the air layering where it's then wrapped back up, um, right. are going to make the most sense. So I'm kind of excited to play around with this too. Yeah. And, and, and I can, you know, there are some trees like peaches, right. That we can summer prune here as well in Texas. It really just depends on, you know, the species and, and what you want, what type of growth you want to encourage on it when, and when you don't. Right. So fruit trees, our fruit tree pruning time is, is, you know, January, late January, early February. Um, and then again, with peaches, you can do that again, kind of midsummer. So, you know, that's the other thing to pay attention to is, you know, what are the other um, schedules for that type of maintenance on your fruit tree? And that can sort of signal to you when it might be a good time to do or not to do something, you know, when it comes to making cutting wounds. Um, but yeah, the air layering is fun and you can do it with a lot of different, lots of different plants. So that's, that's a really fun exercise that you can do if you've struggled with, you know, taking the cutting off the plant and then trying to get it to root. You're basically rooting the cutting on the mother plant before you ever take it off. Okay. I really, I'm excited to try this. I think it's going to be fun. I am planning on doing this with my lavender and probably my rosemary, actually. Um, yeah, rosemary. Yeah, you could probably do that pretty well with rosemary. That will work. So you just basically are going to remove some growth, right? You're going to remove some of that, the side stem, you know, tissue away from that area that you want to air layer, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. And um, lavender may or may not work as well, but you can give that, okay. some, give that a try. Um, so, you know, the more vigorous the rooter, the more successful it's going to be with air layering. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So maybe yeah. just stick to this to the leaf tip cuttings for the lavender then. Yeah, I would do that. But then any of your berry uh, shrubs or anything that does runners or suckers, yeah, I could just see your 
garden's going to be filled with these little wads of wrap tissue all around <laughs> all of these stems with all of your little air layering projects going on. It's really fun. And, and yeah, I mean, like I said, you can, you can pack the area with, with moss or, or core and wrap it with something just as simple as saran wrap or aluminum foil, or you can look for these rooting balls that are just little plastic um, balls that snap together on either side of a stem and you fill them up with whatever medium you're going to use. And, and that way you can actually kind of see the roots growing through oh. the little ball. So that's kind of cool. That kinda is fun. cool. I'm, yeah. I'm a very visual person. In fact, I have been known when I think something is taking too long to germinate out in the garden <laughs> to carefully brush back the soil to oh, see yes. what's going on. Yes. So I oh, definitely yes. would, would like to be able to see if these little roots are, are doing what I'm wanting them to. <laughs> That's so funny. I would stand, I mean, I've been gardening my whole life and I even figured out a way to, you know, garden at all of my rental houses in college. And I remember one time I was standing outside in front of my rental house and I was just staring, I was doing what you were doing, you know, looking for emergence, right? Looking for things that were supposed to have germinated or supposed to come up. And I was just looking intensely and brushing away soil and a neighbor came over and said, what on earth are you doing? (laughs) And I said, I'm waiting for germination. <laughs> what does it look like? <laughs> oh, yes. I love it. Yes, yes. Patience is is not a natural virtue. No. For me, but um, yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that is so, I love that. Uh, that's funny. So for those who are wanting to dive more into this and that type of thing, where is the best place for people to connect with you? Well, I'm, I'm all over social media. So you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Leslie Halleck. Um, my website is the same. So LeslieHalleck.com. Okay. You can find me on Facebook at Halleck Horticultural, but I have two Facebook groups, one called Plant Parenting and one called Gardening Under Lights. <laughs> they go with books. So if you're interested in either of those or both, you can join up those groups. That's where I do most of my Q&A is okay. in the Plant Parenting Facebook group, to be honest. Um, and then you can find me on Pinterest, but I'm all over. So, and then of course, if you really want to take a deep dive into propagation, kind of step by step from the beginning all the way through, I really spell it out for you in Plant Parenting with as many pictures as they would let me cram into the book. <laughs> Okay, awesome. And we'll have links in today's blog post um, and show notes that accompany this episode. So everybody can can grab that and go and check out those groups and those books. So thank you so much. This was fun. I've got some new projects to attend to this coming late winter, early spring. You're going to be doing a lot of propagation. I see it in your future. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. I call call it my plant lab. So you're going to have a whole new plant lab that's going to get up and running now. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for coming on, Leslie. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I certainly hope that you had as much fun listening to that as I did. And and if you are listening to this podcast episode when it releases, which if you're a subscriber, then that means it gets downloaded to your device the moment the new episodes are released. So you don't have to remember to go and hunt them up. I am going to be doing, you still have time. You still have time. I am going to be one of the presenters at this year's Homesteaders of America's conference, and it's not too late to grab your digital ticket. So you will be able to see my presentation, which is going to be going live today. Friday, October 9th is my presentation, but there's going to be presentations all day this day, Friday, 
if you're listening to this on October 9th, as well as Saturday. And then with your ticket, you will be able to watch the replays for one week. So all the way through October 16th with your regular conference ticket. So to find out more information about grabbing your ticket, please do use my affiliate link, which means I make a small commission if you do decide to grab your online ticket, which I highly recommend. It's very, very affordable for a ton of different presentations helping you become a modern homesteader. So you could go to melissacunorris.com forward slash H-O-A. So I just shortened up that Homesteaders of America. melissacunorris.com forward slash H-O-A. And I hope to get to see you there. I will be back here with you as always next week. So for now, blessings in mason jars, my friend. Mm-hmm.